0: KTYT, I'm Nomi Konst. In our interview series, uh, we have been interviewing quite a few people who've come out with new books lately, and you may recognize uh, our next guest from being an anchor on Univision uh, for the very notable and newsworthy uh, debate interaction he had with Donald Trump uh, when he was candidate during the presidential primary, when Donald Trump essentially had his, his folks kick him out of a press conference. Uh, of course, it's Jorge Ramos, the anchor at Univision. He has won eight Grammys. He is the author of the new book, Stranger, uh, The Challenge of a Latino Immigrant in the Trump Era. It is also out in Spanish, for those who want to brush up on their <laughs> Spanish. I should have gotten that copy. All uh, right. Thank you so much, Mr. Ramos, for, for joining us today.
1: Uh, great to be here. Thank you.
0: You have written several books as well and have been covering, you know, U.S. politics and global politics for decades at this point. What was so surprising about this interaction with Donald Trump, given that you've seen everything, especially in Latin America, where things can be a little bit more feisty?
1: Exactly. Well, I remember I come from the universe of fake news. I come from from Mexico, I cover Latin America for for decades. And remember in in my country for 71 years, from 1929 to the year 2000, uh, there was no democracy. So the governments were so used to news all the time and the citizens we were used to fake news. So so then I came to the United States 35 years ago, and I never thought it was going to be the same. And suddenly, uh, what was so different about Donald Trump were for me two things. First, when he announced his candidacy June 2015, he said that Mexican immigrants were criminals, drug traffickers and rapists. I am a Mexican immigrant. I knew that he was lying. It was fake news, what he was saying. However, people were telling me, oh no, you know, you're Latino, um, you're too sensitive. It's just Donald Trump being Donald Trump. Um, after that, I requested an interview with him. He published my, my letter with my cell phone number added on Instagram. I had to change my cell phone number. And then I plan on confronting him at a press conference in, in Iowa. And in Iowa, what happened is that I, I waited for a pause. I, I raised my hand and I asked a question and he didn't want to answer my question. Not only that, he called a bodyguard and ejected me from a press conference. I was not aware that in the United States you could do that to a journalist. And, and just by comparison, the only other person who prevented me from asking a question with a bodyguard was Fidel Castro. So here you have Castro and Trump doing the same thing.
0: Well, then that leads to my next question, which is what are some of the similarities? Some say that, that Donald Trump, you know, he's very impulsive. He's not very smart. But anybody who studies history may see some similarities between, um, you know, dictators and despots. Do you? What other similarities do you see?
1: Well, what I what I do see is that... Uh, he hates to be questioned. He always wants to be in control. He wants to have the last word. He interrupts you constantly. Um, the great thing is that we're in the United States and then we have the Supreme court that works and we have a Congress that works and we have uh, media that works. And so therefore it doesn't matter what he wants or what he might pretend. Um, the fact is that there's always uh, the possibility of questioning him and challenging him. Um, if this were happening in another country, it would be completely different. I saw what happened in Cuba. I saw what happened in Venezuela. I saw what happened in, in Mexico, not with a dictator, dictatorship, but with a party controlling everything. So that's that's what I saw. And And I think it is our responsibility to challenge him, to question those who are in power. And if he lies five times a day, we have to challenge him Five, five times a day.
0: Do you think that the public is getting tired or maybe he's he's getting away with more because there is so much Distraction there is so much to report on
1: Probably but I'm you know, I, I think I prefer myself all my life for this moment. Mm. And as a journalist, I think that when it comes to racism discrimination, corruption, public lies uh, dictatorship violation of human rights you have to take a stand. As I know they, this is uh, debatable in, in journalism circles, but as a journalist, you have to take a stand. I think you have to put neutrality to the side when you're confronted with this. I, I don't know if Donald Trump is a racist. I don't know. I don't know what's in his heart, but I do know what's coming out of his mouth. And it was racist to see that Mexican immigrants were rapists. It was racist to say that people from Haiti and certain African countries, come from whole countries. It was racist to say that a Josh Gonzalo Curiel, uh, couldn't do his job simply because of his Mexican heritage. Those are racist remarks coming from the president of the United States. And as a journalist, I think you have to confront it, even though it, it might get tired every single day. But I think that's our responsibility.
0: Have you received pushback from fellow journalists and editors?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, for instance, when, when I was ejected from the press conference, mm-hmm. there were about 50, 60 journalists in that, in that press room. And only two, Tom Yamas from ABC and Casey Horn from MSNBC, only two journalists stood up and told Donald Trump that he couldn't do that. Mm. So, so that was the first time. And an other journalist, and I think it's a legitimate question, but other journalists asked me if I'm an activist or I'm a journalist. My my answer is very simple. I I am a journalist who asks questions, Mm -hmm. but I think that other than reporting reality as it is, our most important social responsibility is to question those who are in power. The best examples of great journalism that we have in the United States, um, Edward Morrow against uh, Senator McCarthy, Mm -hmm. Walter Cronkite during the Vietnam War, Watergate or the Boston Globe against the Catholic Church because of the sexual abuse cases. All these examples happened when journalists take a stand and leave neutrality to the side.
0: How is the audience at Univision responding? Is there is there a, a different response than, say, the English-speaking audience, that English is the first language-speaking audience? I,
1: I, yeah, I think it's a great question. Yes, it's very different. Mm-hmm. Right, You know, right from the beginning, we knew that something was wrong. Mm. When, when you have a candidate who tells you in your face that you are a rapist, and we know that's... An absolute lie. I've seen all the studies, and immigrants are less likely to be criminals than than U.S. citizens. And, and immigrants don't come to this country to kill anyone. They don't want to get in trouble with the police. They come. They come here just to to have a better life for them and for their families. When you know that, um, you know something is wrong. And we knew something was wrong when when he was saying that the first day. And again, nobody paid attention to us. Again, they were, they thought that we were too sensitive, that we didn't understand what was happening, that it was just Donald Trump being Donald Trump. And and we were right. Unfortunately, uh, we were right. And the attacks on the freedom of the press that I personally uh, suffered, um, it was just an example of what was to come. So yes, I think the Latino community reacted differently because when somebody hates you, and I think hate is contagious, but when somebody hates you, you feel it in all your body, and you know what's coming, because it, it happens to us constantly, constantly.
0: Mm. What year did you move to the United States? I came
1: here in 1983, I was a reporter in Mexico City, and I got censored because I wanted to do a report about the, the, the president who, who was choosing, just imagine, he was choosing, we call him the, raso, the, the dedo is a finger. So it's like a big finger telling who was going to be his successor. Mm-hmm. And then they, they wanted to call that a democracy. It was not a democracy. And my boss told me, no, you cannot say that. And I refused to rewrite it. And I quit and I came to the United States, 1983.
0: So uh, Ronald Reagan was president at that time. And some people say that, you know, Donald Trump's rhetoric is extreme, but his policies are in some cases a continuation of what Ronald Reagan uh, was pushing for in a, with a friendly face. and. You know, a lot of charisma <laughs> as an actor, right?
1: Yeah, that, I mean, that, that comparison is possible. But following, following the same example, I, I found it beautiful when I came to the United States. And then I saw my fellow journalists criticizing President Reagan mm. and nothing happened. <laughs> they were, they were, exactly. I mean, I could go to the supermarket and ride a bike I didn't have to hire bodyguards. And, and it was fine. But in, but in Mexico, uh, it was a different story. And even now, Mexico is one of the most dangerous countries in the world for, for any, any journalist. Continuing with, with the comparison with, with Ronald Reagan, we, we cannot forget, regardless of the criticism, that Reagan is the president who, um, who legalized three million undocumented immigrants in mm-hmm. 1980 through amnesty, a word that now every Republican hates, mm-hmm. but it was a word uh, used by then President Ronald Reagan. So, so if Trump wants to be Ronald Reagan, this is the way to do it.
0: <laughs> so, so let's talk about DACA. As yeah. a as a journalist, I mean you you've been you've been covering this for a very long time. Watching his actions when it comes to DACA and the Dreamers, and how the Dreamers, this generation of Dreamers in particular, has been so active. You know, going into Congress, storming Congress, staging sit-ins, getting arrested. Uh, family members being deported. I mean, it is, it is extraordinary the type of organizing and courage attached to that knowing what's on the line if they are arrested. Have you ever seen anything like that?
1: No, no, no. And I'm, and it's so beautiful. As a matter of fact, I dedicate my book to the dreamers. They are, they are really my, my heroes. And and what I did at that press conference with Donald Trump, uh, what I I was thinking is what would a dreamer do Mm. in front of Donald Trump? And and it's interesting because their parents, the, the parents of the dreamers for many decades, they were in business and they were silent because that was the only way to survive back then, mm-hmm. Re- Ronald Reagan and, and other presidents. Back then it was very difficult to be undocumented immigrant. And then the dreamers grew up and when they were teenagers, they started asking questions to their parents. How come you didn't fight as we are doing? How come you stay silent? The wise answer was, is, is beautiful because they said, Well, we did what we needed to do, which was to be invisible and to be silent. But the dreamers decided to change that strategy. And they're doing something completely different, bold, rebellious, in your face. Mm -hmm. They humiliate you publicly. They they force you to change your mind. Look what they did. They changed the mind of President Barack Obama, Mm -hmm. who for many years said that he was not an emperor or a king, and who, who, who used to say that he couldn't give them that he didn't have the presidential authority to give them the DREAM Act or DACA. Well, they changed that about a month ago, a little more. The, they were able to put a stop to all the activity in the U.S. government because of, the, of that issue. So I think uh, when it comes to leadership, the DREAMers and, and the survivors of the Parkland shooting in Florida
0: mm-hmm.
1: are showing us these the kids, they hate to be called kids, they told me, but, but these... <laughs> Young. Yes, they do. Yeah. But but they these groups of young people, the survivors and the dreamers are showing us what we should do when it comes to gun control and to immigration.
0: Where do you think this will lead over the next you know, few years, this activism?
1: It's, it's very simple. At the end, the dreamers will win and Donald Trump will lose what what we're seeing is an incredible demographic revolution in 2044. Everyone's going to be a minority. It's going to be a minority, majority country. Mm -hmm. And despite the fact that Donald Trump has a nostalgic view of the United States, and I think he's promoting official racism from the White House, Mm -hmm. despite of that, at the end, uh, he will lose. The idea that will prevail is is a tolerant, diverse America in which everyone is going to be a minority. If you want to see the future, uh, go to California. The future is happening already over there. It's a minority, majority state and, and if DACA students cannot get what they want, and let's not forget that Trump is the president who killed DACA. Mm -hmm. He is the person who killed DACA. If they cannot get it now, I think uh, they're already planning on, on, on something else on plan B and plan B is 2020 with the next president. Uh, things could change. But I, I cannot. I, they cannot expect anything, and I cannot expect anything whatsoever from Donald Trump when it comes to immigration.
0: Playing a little bit of devil's advocate here, or maybe looking at another side of this, while the millennial generation and the generation afterwards, yet to be named, is going to be majority-minority, is uh, very progressive, right, and very active, there's also this growing demographic of ex- extremism among young people as well, and, you know, they find spaces... On YouTube, and they, they're, they're the Alex Jones generation, I guess you could say. Um, is there a concern that the the battle is going to start to heat up, and you're going to see these two sides wage a war against each other, kind of reigniting old, old, uh, old arguments?
1: I, I I hope not, but 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 you're right. I, I was checking the numbers, and the the number of hate groups in the United States has grown in the last three years. Hmm. I think. The, the element, the common element of, of this, I think it has to do more, more than with young people. I think it has to do with, with Donald Trump and the rise of uh, the resentment mm-hmm. um, during the Barack Obama presidency. Okay. I, what, however, what I'm seeing, I, I do understand what you're telling me about uh, extreme groups, but I, what I'm seeing again from the dreamers and from the survivors, it is an incredible generation. You're part of that generation you're changing everything. You're not waiting. Um, it is the first generation when it comes to technology that is much superior than, than ours. I, I mean, I'm almost 60. I grew up paying my dues looking up uh, following the boss, waiting for the authority, waiting for someone just to give me the, okay. Uh, These generations are not doing that. And I think it's, it's going to be great.
0: Do you think that reporting is going to change? reflect, uh, how active and, and, um, what's the right word for this generation, how active and, you know, just self-starting, they're self-motivated this generation
1: is? Yeah, it is already, it's already changing. First, the way of of reporting is, is, uh, is with a selfie. You, you, (laughs) That's true. and, And yeah, but it's, it's really interesting because we were taught all journalists, veteran journalists that we shouldn't give our opinion, we shouldn't give our point of view. Mm-hmm. And later we learned that we were wrong. Because mm. if you're a reporter, you want the audience to know where you're coming from, who mm. you are, and where, where, where you are. The, the big change that I see, I was, when I, on, in my generation, everybody wanted to be an anchor. Mm. Nowadays, to be an anchor, and I'm, I'm an anchor, um, I am a dinosaur. Because what 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 I'm asking from the audience, what I'm asking from you, it's it's impossible. I'm asking you to watch my newscast at 6.30, from 6.30 to 7, to find out what's going on in the world. But if you do it one minute before or one minute later, I'm not there throughout the day. Mm -hmm. That's to be a dinosaur. I think nowadays, journalists and students of journalism should, should aim to do anything but to be an anchor. Because you have to move her. you have to be you have to move uh, within platforms you have to be an amphibian you have to be a translator to go from one world to the other mm-hmm. but not don't be an anchor that's that's part of the past i I'm, I'm convinced that if i wouldn't have a social media presence on, on skype and twitter and facebook and instagram i, I wouldn't have a job now
0: my goodness, you're making me feel so much better about my career because that's literally what I do all day. I, people say, what are well, you doing? That, this
1: is the future. What you're doing is, yeah. is precisely the future. Yeah. Let me give you another example. My newscast is seen like our newscast by, by two or three million people. Mm-hmm. But if we were to do this on Twitter or on Facebook or Instagram, immediately we would have two or three times that audience. Wow. So I think what, what you're doing is, is the right thing. The only different, the only problem is that the money is not coming to you.
0: It's not. No. I can tell you that. <laughs> I could do both no, at the same time.
1: <laughs> there's not a lot of. I, I think the big challenge. Talk to all your friends, but the big challenge is how to monetize what you are doing, right. because you are reaching the audiences. You you are where you need to be, and and um, but the money is still coming. The majority of the money is still coming. On our case, from the from the TV side, but at some point, see what the New York Times has done and the Washington Post. Mm-hmm. They've been able to balance that and to get um, almost fifty percent of their income from from the digital side, and that's the future.
0: So, just to bring it full circle, did you get pushback from your company when you had this altercation with Donald Trump?
1: <clears throat> Quite the contrary, ah. I think they. They, yeah really they supported me right from the beginning and and it was Univision who um, before I had that, this confrontation with, with Donald Trump, who decided not to cooperate with him in broadcasting uh, his show um, oh, I think it's, it was Miss America back then so um, so we were not going to cooperate with, with, with him and he and the company has been fantastic with me supporting me all the way
0: That's great. Jorge Ramos, I feel like we could have gone for another 20 minutes. Author of Stranger, The Challenge of a Latino Immigrant in the Trump Era. A must read. And uh, hopefully we can have more conversations about journalism. and.
1: Absolutely. Anytime. <laughs> Thank, Thank you so much. Thank you. All right.